A very good morning to you and welcome to our service this morning. Thank you for joining us. If you are here as a family, uh, good to see you. There are instruments at the back on the table if you'd like to help yourself to, to play during the opening song. That would be great if you wanted to join in that way. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online with the streaming. Thank you again for joining us. Our call to worship is from Psalm 96. And we spend a long time sitting down in these services because we're not really allowed to stand up and sing very much. I would like to invite you, if you are able, it doesn't put too much pressure on the knees and hips, uh, to stand for the bits that we say together in yellow and to sit if you are not speaking. If that sounds like a lot of hard work and you'd just rather stay seated or stay standing, feel free. But if you are able, stand for the bits that we are saying and sit when we are not speaking. So I will, I will do as I say. And... Um, I don't think I've got a good mic here. Can I switch this mic, please, at some point? Um, and when I... Thank you. Greatly to be praised, sing unto the 
you are great you reign beyond each galaxy yet you know each one of us you love and care for each one of us and those of us who feel vulnerable or scared or a little bit alone this morning would you hold us would you reveal your heart to each one of us here would you show us how precious we are to you amen question for you how many of you looked in the mirror this morning? Some of you. The rest of you didn't bother. Okay. You looked in the mirror this morning. How many of you liked what you saw? Yeah, first thing in the morning is, is never our best time, is it? But however you feel about yourself, whatever you think when you look in the mirror, when you think, I'm okay or I'm not okay, there are two things that are true that I want you to remember. And those things are, firstly, God made you in his image. And the second thing is, God knows you inside out and he loves you to bits. You look in the mirror and say, whoa, God made me in his image and God loves you me to bits. And look around the church. Actually, that's true for everybody else here as well. God made them in his image, and God loves them to bits. Each of you should have on your chair a small square of paper and a pencil. I'd like you, please, to buddy up in a group of two or three with other people, Preferably someone you don't know. If it's a family group, you count as one bubble. You buddy up with an individual or another group. And I want you to look at each other. Okay, so eyeball each other. This is who I'm going to be with. And I want you to write down three things that occur to you as you look at that other person or that other family or that other group. What do they look like? What are your first impressions of them? How do they make you feel? And let me warn you, be positive, okay, because I'm going to ask you to share what you've said about them with them in a moment, okay? So have a little confab in your families. That person, what do, we, what do we think about them? How do they make us feel? What's our impression of them? And write down three things, three things about that person that you think about or makes you feel or you recognise. Yeah, okay. So in groups of two or three. If you're watching online, think about your next door neighbours, okay? What's your impression of them? What would you say to them if you met them face to face, if you counted them for the first time?
Okay, if you've not done so already, share what your feelings are about each other, what your impressions are. This is what I thought about you. This is how I felt. This is my first impression of you. Okay, can I call you back, please? Can I call you back, please? Thank you. And let me ask you, you're a rowdy lot over that side of the church. months you've not been allowed to talk to each other and look what happens when you can. Okay, can I ask you, how many of you, those three things that somebody else said or thought about you, those three things, how many you feel that that person got you completely right? How many think that this person, their first impression was exactly who I am? Okay, yeah, one or two. How many thought, oh my word, they've got me completely wrong? How many people how many people got one thing right out of the three? Two things right. Most of you just aren't participating in this at all, are you? Okay, that's fine. Three ways of seeing people. One is what we think about ourselves. One is what God sees when he looks at us. Another is what other people see when they look at us or what we see when we look at them. All the time, when we meet people for the first time, we are weighing them up. Is this person a good person? Am I going to be friends with them? Am I going to be, need to be careful of them? And it's right that we do that. We meet a stranger and we think, is this a person I can trust? Is this a person I'm going to get on with? We need to be careful when we meet people for the first time. But there is a danger. There is a danger that we see someone for the first time and we come to an immediate assumption about the kind of person they are and we get it wrong. We see that person, that person's like that. And we can judge them before we really get to know them. And that's dangerous, that's prejudice. You all have a piece of paper, and it's on the screen as well. There are a number of scenarios there. Someone laughing at someone who's disabled. Other people saying, you're not one of us. We don't give people like you a job. Go away, you're not big enough. Uh, you're fat, you're overweight, you're a woman, you don't count. Or what about you? You're homeless, you don't smell right. Where did you come from? Go back to your cave. Those are unpleasant things that people say or do to each other. There's something nasty 
in human nature that means sometimes we look for ways to put other people down and make them feel small as a way of making us feel better about ourselves. So take a moment by yourself or in family groups to think, have I ever treated anybody like that? How did it make them feel? Have I seen anybody else at school treat someone like that? Why did they do that? How did it make the person treated like that feel? Just to reflect for a moment, maybe by talking about it in family groups, maybe by yourself. Have I treated someone like that? How did I make them feel? Have I seen someone else treated like that? How did they feel when someone did that to them? Another question, has anybody ever treated you like that? Has anybody ever treated you like that? And if they have, then remember those words that I said earlier in the service remain true. However other people might have treated you, whatever they might have said about you or to you, ways in which they've made you feel small or insignificant or you don't count or you don't belong or you don't matter. The truth is that God made you in his image and he loves you to bits. So hold your head up high because God sees you and treats you differently to the way other people may see and treat you. Sometimes it's a matter of nationality or history. How many people watched the football last night? Yeah, okay, that was an, an unusually enjoyable experience, watching England play football, wasn't it? Playing Ukraine. Part of Ukraine is occupied by Russia. The odds are that your average Ukrainian is going to look at a Russian and think, I don't like that person because the Russians have invaded their land and they've taken part of it and they are enemies. Your average Ukrainian is not going to be very friendly towards your average Russian. Back last week, we played Germany. Again, an unusual, enjoyable experience watching England play Germany at football. But some of you are around... 80 years ago, others of you will know the history, 80 years ago we were at war with Germany and we very nearly lost. If Germany had won and invaded our country, we wouldn't be playing football in a friendly way with them now. And actually, our attitude towards Germans would probably be quite hostile. Even after all these years, some people still had difficulty a little bit with, with people from Germany because of that history. And in Bible times... Israel 
God's land was occupied by the Roman army. And so you're going to look at your average Roman and think, I don't like him. He's the enemy. That's someone I am not going to get on with. You will form conclusions about that kind of person because he's a member of the enemy occupying power. And if he looks a bit like this, a bit wealthy, a bit arrogant, a bit haughty, not a very nice looking person, and you find out that this man's name is Cornelius, and he's the captain of a group of soldiers called the Italian Unit, a unique fighting squad, and they are in your country as the enemy, you are going to look at him and think, Cornelius, I don't like you, because you are my enemy. But then you find out a bit more about the man, and you find actually he's a very religious man. He worships God. So does everyone in his house. He's given lots of money to the poor. He's always saying his prayers. He wants to come and worship at our church, in our synagogue. Are we comfortable with that? Because he's the enemy, and yet there are things about him actually that aren't perhaps quite so bad. How do we cope with that? And so we talk to people who know him, and they tell us, well, he's a good man. He worships God. He's liked by the Jewish people. And we may think, well, his, his servants would say that. What else would you expect? But actually, we begin to ask, can an enemy be a good person? Are our first impressions of who he is and what he's going to be like, are they accurate? Or are we getting it wrong? I'm going to give you a choice now of things to do, okay? Some of you, I'm going to say, just read and reflect on this prayer and make it your own. Some of you might be into word searches, okay? On the reverse side of the, the bit of paper with the different kinds of prejudice on, there is a word search. has ten words about Cornelius on it. One of them is his name. Eight of them are things that everybody knew about Cornelius. One of them is something only he knew about himself. You might like to do that word search. If you're not into words or reading prayers... In a family group, let me invite you to reflect on this scenario at school, okay? A new boy joins your class. He comes from a different part of the world. He doesn't speak English very well. The teacher says to everybody, make him welcome. Make friends with him. Let him join in your games. But every time you try and talk to him, he just stares rudely at you. Doesn't join in. Doesn't say anything doesn't appear to make friends, won't even smile. Do you persevere? Do you keep trying to talk to him and make friends with him? Or you just say, oh, stuff it. He's just not a very nice person. And why might he behave that way? So the prayer, the word search, or that scenario, the unfriendly foreign child in school who won't make friends. How do you treat them? Do you persevere trying to make friends with them? Just for a moment or two, to do the word search, the prayer, or that conversation.
Okay, can I call you back, please, to Cornelius? Because one day Cornelius was saying his prayers, as you do, and unexpectedly an angel appeared to him. He had a vision of an angel saying, Cornelius, I want you to meet someone. I want you to send some servants to a town called Joppa. I want them to look for a man called Peter. He's staying in Simon's house near the coast. Get them to find him and bring him here to meet with you. And Cornelius did as he was told, because it's not every day you see an angel. You see an angel, tells you to do something, you think, I'd better do it. So he said to his servants, I want you to go off. I want you to go down the road to Joppa, day or two's journey. I want you to look on the coast, all the houses there. One of the houses belongs to a guy called Simon. In his house there'll be a guy called Peter staying there. I want you to find Peter and bring him here to see me. And you can see how the servants feel about that. This is a wild goose chase. Our master's had a dream. He's fallen asleep. He's sending us off. We are never going to find this guy. What's the point? But if it's a Roman captain, you do as he says. So off they go down the road to make the journey to Joppa. In the meantime, in Joppa, Peter really is there. And he really is staying in the house of Simon by the coast. And he's tired and hungry. And they get, they're spending so much time getting him lunch that he falls asleep. And while he's asleep, he has a dream. And in his dream, he sees being let down from heaven a huge sheet. And in the sheet, there are all kinds of animals that he is not allowed to touch or eat because they are unclean animals. For the Jews in those days, there were very clear regulations. You can eat this, you can't eat that. Those animals are unclean. You are not to touch them. You are not to eat them. And a voice from heaven says, Peter, you're hungry. Help yourself. Take one of those animals, kill it, eat it. And Peter says, no, Lord. I've kept your laws all my life. There is no way I'm going to touch and kill and eat an unclean animal. And the voice from heaven says, look, Peter, what I have made clean, you are not to reject. And that vision happened three times in Peter's dream. And he wakes up to a loud banging on the door. And there outside are three men who've come from a Roman captain saying, Peter, we want you to come and visit the Roman captain who sent us to you. Now, for Peter, the Roman captain, he's a Gentile, he's unclean, I'm not going to have anything to do with him, I'm not allowed to enter his house. But because of the vision, okay, maybe God is saying this man is clean, even though he's, a, he's an enemy. Maybe God wants to do something for this man. So despite his preconceptions, despite his thoughts about this is an enemy soldier, I want nothing to do with him, because of his vision, Peter says, okay, I'm going to go with you, I'm going to meet this man, and I'm going to see what God wants me to do there. So they travel back to Joppa, travel back to where Cornelius lives. Peter gets there, he's invited in. Cornelius explains what's happened about the vision that he has. Peter explains what's happened, why he's come. And then Peter starts to tell Cornelius about Jesus because he figures that's why he's been invited to go to Cornelius. And Ruth is going to bring us the reading of uh, Peter's sermon to Cornelius.
peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by, the wit by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins throughout, through his name. And at that point, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and everyone who was listening, interrupting Peter's sermon, and they started speaking in tongues and praising God out of the blue. And Peter couldn't believe it. These were Gentiles. No, these were Romans. These were the enemy. These were people he had nothing to do with, yet God had given them his Holy Spirit of all people. It was mind-blowing for Peter that God could love these people whom he'd always regarded as enemies. And he thought, oh my word, if God's given these people the Holy Spirit just as he gave the Holy Spirit to us, then they ought to get baptised. He said, okay, Cornelius, your family, get baptised because... You're believing in Jesus. And he baptised them then and there. Everyone who gets baptised has their own story to tell. We're having a baptism service here on the 8th of August. Alice and Josh are going to get baptised then. You will hear their stories. If you want to hear Cornelius' story, then read about it in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 because it's there. We've got to listen to somebody else's story now. Because a couple of years ago, Amy was baptised. And this is a, a testimony of her baptism and what happened after that. So let's listen now to Amy's story. After my birthday, I knew I wanted to get baptised. I'd always wanted to, but had never really felt it was urgent until then. So I went to a few baptism classes to talk it over with some people. Lovely people, although irritatingly I can't remember their names. February and March were when people really became aware of COVID-19. It inevitably came over here. We were pulled out of school on a Thursday in March and the first lockdown was announced on that Friday. First, major thank you to God. On the Saturday morning, I had a stroke. We had eaten pancakes, or was it waffles, for breakfast, and I went upstairs to get ready to have a shower. While I was getting ready, I felt the feeling fall out of my right side. It was felt quite slow, but it was probably only a few seconds. I shouted clearly, help, I'm stuck on the floor. And I was only told later that I hadn't been as clear as I had thought and was warbled crying. My wonderful sibling's family and an ambulance was called. I was taken to East Surrey Hospital and then to St George's in London with my dad and a nurse whose name may have been Lorne. I went into pre-theatre and one of the people had orange clocks. I was put to sleep. Although my stroke caused memory loss, I can still remember that day very clearly. And the rest of this is pulled out of a vague first After my surgery, which went well, they did it under MRI, which is cool. My anaesthetist, another major thank you to God, said there was something up with my heart. Our room had a silver plastic butterfly in. 
The ceiling fell down in the corridor and the hospital went into total lockdown because they had quite a lot of COVID. Our friends lived near and bought us stuff we needed, like pants. Thanks God and Kate. I was transferred to Great Ormond Street. About two weeks after, we went home. At some point, I was diagnosed with restricted cardiomyopathy. Soon after that, my heart rate went up quite a bit more in one of the few tachycardia things. By the time we reached the hospital, it was just over 200. They sent me back to Gosh to look at my heart and stuff. Yet again, another major thank you to God. It was about the 14th of April that we were there, that we talked about heart transplants. After they had explained the logical options, it seemed like the best option was to sign me up. Basically, the options were, I would be as ill as I was and then progressively get worse, until not long in the future I would need a new heart and lungs, and maybe too weak to have either. Or I could have a new heart and at some point in the near future feel as fit as I was when I was 10 or 11. I heaped my peak, I hiked 13 miles and didn't puke. Only after when I was told about it do I realise that being that keen and straight away, yep, I'll have it, is a little strange. I reckon God knew that tricky stuff was coming my way and helped build my character up to deal with it. The next day, I had another stroke. My dad saved my life that day. To him, it was very obvious I was having a stroke, but the neurologists didn't believe him. I recovered slower from that stroke because I had really bad headaches, and at that point I was only one third best from my previous stroke, so it was like having one and two thirds worth of stroke. put on the as soon as we can after a stroke she goes or high on the list for heart transplant list. I would be on the same place in the list as people on Berlin hearts. They didn't really understand how a person with a heart as broken as mine could be still walking around and talking like I was. Answer, God. But I was allowed to go home, yet another major thank you to God. The next couple of months in and out of hospital. At first I went nearly three weeks, then fortnightly, and then just before my transplant I was barely able to make it a week without calling an ambulance, and because my ECG was so weird going to hospital for a night. In the summer, I can't say when because of transplant rules, we got the call that said they might have a heart. Very early in the morning my mum woke me up and said, how do you fancy having a heart transplant today? I was very happy and excited the whole morning, not trying not to be too excited because it doesn't always work out like work out. The surgeon has to see you and the heart to know. At ten, the transport came and we arrived at Gosh. And waited and waited and waited. It took ages, but several people were, were waiting for transplants, and all the teams of nurses all over London were coordinating. I had my transplant in the early hours of the morning. This is when my parents started, came to visit me straight for surgery. I was on nearly all the machines. A few days after, the physios helped me sit up in ICU. I don't really remember this, but my mum said my new heart wasn't quite ready for me to be awake. 
So in the middle of the night, they had to put me back to sleep, and back on a ventilator, and get ready to shock my heart. Fortunately, they didn't need to shock my heart, but I stayed asleep on the and on the ventilator for another few days. Waking up from the ventilator was really hard work, and I hated it. You have to blow bubbles to keep your chest warm. This was the first time I got to see my heart on an echo. My memories start again when I had about a week left in ICU. However, I do remember very distinctly noticing I was hallucinating while I was on morphine. I can't remember exactly how we got there, but I said roughly, I can see a tartan blanket and a squirrel on the end of my bed, but I know they're not real because we didn't bring them. At some point, I was on dialysis, because the medicine caused my kidneys to start to fail. Being on dialysis makes you really cold. I made my progress quite quickly, which was probably a mistake, mostly because I would forget I was ill, and do something like sitting up by myself, and then think, ow, that was probably a mistake. Hi, I'm okay. Thanks for praying for me. My walking was a little slower, first to the chair and then to the loo and then when I was less attached to less things, to the window because I was feeling too hospitalised. At the point I was really struggling on morphine, I did a lap, my lap, first lap of the ward at ridiculous speed for somebody who just had major surgery. was feeling better we got to go up to the roof garden with a nurse. I was allowed to leave ICU and head to bear ready to go home. On my, my first night on bear at the cardio ward was hard because I thought I was doing all my own things but I had still had lots of help. I quite quickly got used to being on bear. I had to do daily physio at Bosch. This is me doing physio in the gym at Bosch. Dear Lord, uh, I want to thank you for my new heart and uh, say how grateful I am for it and that's amazing. Um, it's really made me think about all the other children who are ill be that here or in our church and I want to pray for them and for their families um, that they will feel your presence with them I found this verse I will give you a new heart a new spirit I will put within you I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give and give you a heart of flesh. Uh, Ezekiel 36 verse 26. Fairly soon I went home, which was another shock to the system. 
Being at home was hard. The first bit was hard because I'd just had major surgery and was quite weak from that. Slowly I got better and was able to walk up the stairs and then have a shower by myself. Then I could do that standing up and eventually without any support. Now I'm physically, I'm your typical unfit teen. My brain was even harder. Everything was new to my brain and everything was tiring. Slowly it got better, letting me make my own lunch and things. Now I can basically do everything, even if I can only cope with them for very short amounts of time. Annoyingly, I got a CMV infection, so we had to go back and have IV treatments twice a day. First staying at Gosh, where we were, tried to make it fun and went to cafes and museums between treatments. And then I got to stay at home and commuted to Brighton for the treatment. My three-month biopsy went well, so I was signed off as a functioning human and allowed to go back to school. I still go about once a month to the cardio clinic at Gosh. I was 15 last month, and golly, what a year it's been. Thank you, Amy, for sharing your story with us. No one knows what's coming. Amy's testimony is that she felt it was right. She got baptised as a way of preparing for, for a really tumultuous couple of years that followed. So do please continue uh, to pray for Amy and for the family. Coming back to Cornelius for a moment. Um, he became a Christian while Peter was still halfway through his sermon. The Holy Spirit didn't even let Peter finish his message. Why? Did God interrupt Peter at that precise point in time? Anyone remember at what point the Holy Spirit came while Peter was speaking? What was Peter speaking about at that point in time when God interrupted? Anyone notice? Glad you're all paying so much attention. Okay, that's really good. What about the word search then? Who found some words about Cornelius in the word search? What did you find? Sorry? Soldier? Yep. Yes? Guilty. Yep, we'll come back to that. Yes? Sorry? Sin, was that there? I didn't know that one was there. Brilliant. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Okay, what else did we find? Pray. Prayerful, even. It goes all the way up to the top. Yeah, prayerful. Yes, what else did we find? Popular. Yes, any others? Kind, you found a diagonal one. Well done. Yes, kind. What else? Roman soldier, yep, yep. Religious. Any others? Generous, thank you, yes. There's one more, I think. Good, another diagonal one. Clearly there's something about the way your mind works. That's brilliant, okay. All of these things... Good, kind, generous, religious, prayerful. But at the same time, everybody knew these things about Cornelius, but deep down in his heart, he knew that actually he was a guilty man and there was sin in his life. And the point at which the Holy Spirit interrupted Peter's sermon, when Peter said, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins in his name. And people put two and two together and think at that moment Cornelius thought, that's what I need. 
I need forgiveness of sins. I'm trusting Jesus for that. And as soon as he put his faith in Christ, bang, the Holy Spirit came down upon him. Get this. Cornelius was a good man, but he needed Jesus because he wasn't perfect. None of us is. Cornelius was a prayerful man, but he still needed Jesus. God answered his prayers by putting him in touch with Peter, who could tell him about Jesus. Cornelius was a generous man, but he still needed Jesus. Cornelius was a a religious man, but he still needed Jesus. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing all you are good people and kind people and religious people and prayerful people and maybe even popular people. But even people like that still need Jesus. God went to all the trouble to, to get Cornelius to send to Joppa for Peter to prepare Peter to come and speak to Cornelius because he wanted Cornelius to find out about Jesus. God wants you to know about Jesus as well. And maybe God brought you to Brighton Road this morning because he wants you to know about Jesus. Or maybe you're watching online this morning because although you might be popular and good and prayerful and religious and and kind, deep down inside you know there's stuff that you're not perfect and you need forgiving for something. You need Jesus. Saying prayers, living a good life, being generous, they're all good things. But being a Christian, that is about believing in Jesus and welcoming Jesus into your heart. A simple prayer, into my heart. Into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. We're going to celebrate communion here in a moment. And in a very practical way, that is a way of saying, Jesus, come into my life. Because the bread and the wine represent Jesus. The bread represents the body of Christ given for you. The wine represents the blood of Christ shed for you. Jesus died to take your sin. He rose again to be your Lord. And as you receive the bread and wine, you receive him. You receive his forgiveness. You receive his life. You can welcome him as Lord and Saviour. And Jesus welcomes you to this table because there are no outsiders in Christ. He's not excluding anybody here this morning, young or old, if you would like to, as a way of saying, yes, I want to believe in Jesus, come and receive the bread and the wine. I'm going to say the words of institution in a moment. We are going to listen to the song, You Chose the Cross. And I would invite you, as you see space at the table, to come up and receive the bread and wine. I'll I'll give you a wafer if you come with your hands held out. I'll put a wafer in your hand. Take the wafer and a cup of wine and go back to your seat and eat the wafer and drink the wine in your own time, please. If you just want a blessing, come up and hold your hand on your shoulder like this and I'll pronounce a short blessing upon you. But we do this because on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to those who were with him and said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the new agreement between God and you that's sealed by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Part of that new covenant is God saying, I will forgive your sins and won't remember the bad things you've done anymore. 
Jesus gives himself to you, makes himself available to you as your Lord and Saviour. If you'd like to receive him, to receive his forgiveness, his life, put him in charge of who you are and what you do. Come and receive the bread and wine. I'm going to pray, then we're going to listen to You Chose the Cross, and I invite you to come in your own time. Jesus, thank you that you made us. You know exactly what we're like. You love us to bits. Thank you for giving your life for us. Thank you for giving yourself to us. Thank you that when we trust you, you are faithful. You forgive us and you, you take charge of our lives and you lead us through what is to come. As we receive this bread and wine, Lord, enable us to know that we receive you, your love, your forgiveness and your life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sorrow that surrounded you was mine. 
Christ chose the cross because he loves you to bits. And he chose to give his life for you. Will you give your life to him? Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you came from. Jesus is saviour to all, Lord of heaven and earth. We're going to close by singing men of faith, rise up and sing. Well, we're going to sing it, you're going to listen. But I would invite you to, if you would like to, to participate in the chorus. Because it says, shout to the north and the south, sing to the east and the west. So shout to the north, turn to face the north, and the south, go to the south. Sing to the east and the west, so rotate to face the right direction. Jesus is saviour to all. Hold your hands out towards each other as turn and face the front again. Lord of heaven and earth. Okay? So shout to the north and the south. Sing to the east and the west. Jesus is saviour to all. Lord of heaven and earth. So you can participate by expressing worship in that way, should you wish to do so. But we're all going to stand anyway while this is sung to us. keeping of Christ be around you. May the guarding of God be with you, to possess you, to protect you from danger and from loss. And may the gospel of the God of grace bless you from head to toe. And may the gospel of the King of heaven be wrapped around your body this day and evermore. Amen. Go in peace and gather outside to chat.
if you wish to. My Jesus, my Savior, love there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of Joy at the work of your 